And we must understand this passage as being in connection to what we have been dealing with, which is our adoption as God's sons in and through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. We've been over the course of the last several Sunday mornings dealing with what are all the benefits that we have in our adoption as God's sons. What comes to us? This also is part of that. What Paul is now delving into in in his longest section is that which perhaps is most forgotten or left off the page or left off from our consideration of one of the benefits. And yet it would seem that Paul is going through great pains in order to help us to see and understand that this comes to us as well. The freedom that we have in Christ is our benefit. It's only given to sons. See, slaves don't have that. Slaves don't have freedom. Sons do. Those who are the adopted children of God through faith in Jesus Christ have freedom. This is ours. This is our right. This is our privilege. This is our standing. Galatians 4, 8. Formally, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Jesus Christ. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. 
She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, cry, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Thus far the reading of God's breathed out word to us. Let's again bow in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank thee for this holy and precious word that thou hast given unto us, Lord. We pray that thou will be with Pastor Bob, give him the words to say to deliver this message unto us so that we may take this word and live our lives accordingly. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. See, all that we read from verse 8 through the end of the chapter is to bring us from the Apostle Paul to the point of Paul saying, for freedom, Christ has set us free. This is the purpose of the glorious coming of Christ. This is what is being celebrated, you see, by the angels announcing the good news. Not for themselves, they are in need of no salvation, nor can they experience that salvation. That good news that is being presented, which was in our call to worship. For to you is born this day a Savior. And who is that Savior? Christ, the Lord. Now, For what purpose has Christ come? To set us free. For freedom, Christ has come. Let's go back and unpackage what that which Paul is, is speaking of here in this fourth chapter. We'll do that under these three points. One, the Galatians' past slavery. Secondly, the Galatians' present danger. And thirdly, the gospel's eternal declaration. First of all, their past slavery. Paul indicates at the very beginning here, as we open up verse 8, that at one time, these Galatians were in slavery to false gods, to paganism. One only needs to be reminded of Paul's visit to this particular area in his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 14, where uh, Silas is thought to be... Uh, Zeus and Paul is thought to be Hermes, and when, when they deny that, then the people turn on them and stone them and leave them for dead. That was the background of these folks, the Greek, the Roman mythology of the day. That's who they worship. That's who they followed. Paul comes with the glorious good news of the gospel. Paul says, and they believe that. They accept that gospel. 
They believe that which Paul proclaimed to them. And Paul is looking at that and saying, see, at one time you were enslaved to these false gods. These myths, this paganism held its grip upon you. So much so that you know the citizens of, of your own areas, of your own cities, hated us, despised us. You could have well have said that about the city of Ephesus as well, where a riot erupts when Paul begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ against the falsehood of the belief in Artemis or Diana. And the whole city turns into a riot. This whole area of Galatia has been enslaved to paganism, but the gospel set them free from that. And many who are part of these Galatian churches, these churches in this area that Paul is writing to, were pagans. Been set free by the gospel. Paul phrases it another way by saying that they had become, or they were at one point in time, engulfed, held bondage, slaves to the elementary principles of this world. Later in the book of Romans chapter 1, Paul would speak about that, those kind of elementary principles that because they neither knew God nor understood God nor worshipped God, as God clearly was seen in evidence, as His divine power, as His divine majesty is on display in creation, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, images made to look like men and ain't and animals, things of earth that they began to worship. The elementary principles, they go down to simply that which they can see and touch. Their gods become men. Elementary principles that held them in bondage. Paul says in that Romans chapter 1, therefore God gave them over. He turned them over to what? To follow those passions, to follow those desires. And certainly when one studies the, the various false religions of this world and of that day in particular, they were greatly immoral. That their paganism led them into even greater immorality. And so the question became, becomes, what is really going on? Is the Elementary principles are the passions of the flesh giving rise to the creation of gods or was it the idea of the gods giving rise to their passions? Paul is, is sort of saying, no, it comes out of man's gut that this false view of the world is because inside we're enslaved to that sinful nature. That sinful nature out of which those sinful passions arise give, gives thought to creating gods in our own idea, in our own image. Paul says, you were enslaved. You were a slave to your own passions. And I'm not quite sure where to put verse 10. I, I struggled with it in my outline. It could go in our next section. 
but it seems that, that Paul, that he's dealing with the past, but yet verse 10 is more the present. What he's saying is, okay, as, as we get there, you're, you're, you were pagan, but the gospel has set you free. You had this sinful nature, but the gospel has conquered that. And yet now, you're going back with the danger of entrusting yourself once again into things that you have already been set free from. Commentators are at odds with verse 10. Let me read it to you in case you don't have your, your text open yet. Verse 10 reads, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And the question is, is Paul referring to their old paganism? Is Paul saying, you know, there were all those, those festive days, those feast days that were set aside for all of those Roman gods that you followed, those Greek mythological gods you followed, and you're still doing that. You're still engulfed in the old paganism, even though Christ has set you free, Christ has brought you out of that. Christ has redeemed you from that. You're still celebrating all of the pagan feast days, the feast weeks, the feast years. Other commentators say, no, what they think is going on in verse 10 is the fact that these false teachers who have come into Galatia and are now proclaiming the fact that we must keep the Mosaic books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We must keep the law. We must keep that which is found there along with all of their feasts, with all of their festivals, with all of their days set aside, Day of Atonement, for example, with all of their years of which he's probably thinking the year of Jubilee and the Sabbath year. And that these men are coming in and saying, you really can't be a Christian unless you celebrate Passover. You really can't be a Christian unless you celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You really can't be a Christian unless you also are celebrating the Day of Atonement. You can't be a Christian unless you're celebrating the Feast of Purim. You can't be a Christian unless you're celebrating the Sabbath year. You can't be a Christian unless you hold to the principles of the year of Jubilee. That's what's coming in. So they're taking those five books, imposing that upon those who are believers in Christ, and these Galatians are falling for it. Whereas when Paul was there, the gospel set them free. Paul makes no mention to them of, now listen, as a Christian, make sure you keep the Day of Atonement, okay? Because you, you got to be doing that in order to, to stay right with God. Or, or you got to still keep the Passover. That's what you need to do. Paul is saying, I said none of that. We preach Christ and Christ only. We are justified by faith, by faith only. And made right in the presence of God. These men are trying to impose upon you that which you have been delivered from. And it would appear from the way verse 10 is written 
that they're actually doing this. So whether it's the pagan feaster festivals or whether it's the Jewish feaster festivals, it really doesn't matter because it boils down to the fact of they're enslaving themselves again into something that they have been set free from. Now there are many of you in this room that if I were not to mention the following, would be very disappointed in this sermon. But I'm mentioning it not because I don't want to disappoint you. I'm mentioning it because it needs to be said. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are Protestant Reformed folk. There was an old system of slavery. The Roman church had enslaved Christians for hundreds of years to keep high holy days. In fact, I heard it on the radio again this morning, the local show. Oh yeah, the high holy days. Yes, those days when we must go. Oh yes, those days when we must say certain prayers. Today we must say certain prayers in the church. If we don't say certain prayers in the church, oh man, who knows if we're even saved. The establishment that the Roman church had upon Christianity of imposing upon the church the necessity that you must keep these days or you are not a Christian. We as Protestant Reformed folks say, no. That's what our heritage is. Particularly as Orthodox Presbyterians, as those who, who come out of that background. We say, no. There is only one day in Scripture that is to be kept as holy. And that's the Lord's Day. We cannot impose we cannot force, we cannot mandate that someone attend church on a day that Christ has not commanded us to do. To do so would be to put us in slavery. Can we choose to go? Sure. But can we impose that this must be done? And this, if, if this isn't done, you're not a Christian. You'd be under discipline of the church. That's why in our background and in our tradition as Orthodox Presbyterians, indeed as Presbyterians, there is a resistance to the whole idea of the fact there are not high holy days. And we must be careful, my friends, to not insist upon something that is not there. The bulletin has had, for the last couple of weeks, the announcement. We will not have church December 25. For some of you, it's like, oh, we might go to hell because of that. We're not going to go to hell. There is no command in Scripture for us to worship on December 25. 
unless December 25 were a Lord's Day. Then there is a command of Scripture. See, you say, well, where are that? that that's invented. That comes from man. Man invents it. Man came up with the day. Man came, comes up with a month. Man comes up with a, the day of the month that to do this on. And it simply isn't in Scripture. What is in Scripture is the Lord's Day. See, what Paul is saying here has application to our lives. There might be some people going, well, if that church isn't going to have church on Sunday, I don't think it's very Reformed or very Christian. Exactly the opposite, my friend. There can be nothing more unreformed than to impose upon people that which the Word does not impose. So when you run into folks over the course of the next few weeks, congregation, and they say, so you're having church on Christmas? And you say, no, we're not. And they go, they have the shocked horror upon their face like, oh, Little Farms is going liberal. No, liberal would be to have a Christmas service because then you're abandoning the Reformed principles. So could we choose to? Sure. Can we impose it? No. Can we force you? No. Would you be under discipline? No. Would you be if you neglect the Lord's Day? Yes. Why? Because that's mandated in Scripture. See, understand that the freedom that Paul is dealing with with these Galatians is the same freedom that you and I need to reclaim today. We need to reclaim it. Now understand very carefully, I did not say that the birth of Christ is not worth celebrating. Of course it is. Just as much as his life, just as much as his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his coming again, his pre-incarnate state, it is all worthy of our worship. Of course it is. But we cannot mandate days and months and seasons and years apart from the word of God. So yes, to stay home from church December 24 in the evening because of a celebration the next day is indeed sin. Yeah, you heard that. But it's Christmas Eve. No, it isn't. It's the Lord's Day. And on the Lord's Day, we are to be in the house of the Lord worshiping Him. So let us consider how best to worship the Lord by His call to us to come into His presence. Don't be in bondage to the seasons of the year. Paul is warning these folks of the present danger they are under, you see. That's what he goes on to next. He, he's, he's concerned. You can hear the heart and the passion of Paul here. His, his heart is bleeding, thinking of the fact that, that he came there, preached the gospel. They received the gospel. They knew of, of justification by faith, of the freedom they have in Christ. And now they're walking backwards. 
They're going back and engulfing themselves in the very things that they had been set free from. And he's saying, he, he, he says, I just think about the way you treated me. When I came there to, to Galatia, I was dealing with a physical infirmment. What exactly it is, we don't know. It appears as you read through the text, it might have something to do with an eye condition because he talks about that. But he says, you received the word from my mouth as an angel. Now, even more so as Christ Jesus. You heard the word when I preached as if you were listening to Christ Jesus himself. You were, you were so committed to the gospel that you would have gouged out your own eyes out of love for me. I know this. Do you think this is easy, Paul is saying, for me to say? Do you think this, I take joy and delight in having to come to you to deal with this matter? Paul is saying, no, I don't. But I hear how you're receiving these false teachers. You're beginning to listen. You're beginning to consider, hmm, maybe these false teachers have a point. They're leaning in the direction of going down this road. They're not there yet, but they're leaning. They're, they're being, they're, their willingness to involve themselves in, in these days and months, Paul is saying, is a sign. I see it. I see where you're leaning. And what you're doing is you're leaning away from Christ. You're leaning to the things of old. You're leaning to the things of this earth. You're leading to the passions of this world. You're leading to the things that, that bind you here upon earth rather than the glorious freedom you have in Christ. We're being, you're being bound by that. I see where you're heading. I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to give up. To backslide into that which you have been set free from. Imagine the following scene. Imagine we're back in the 1800s, the 1860s to be sure, and you have risked your life. You have risked your life to enter in to a slave's quarters. You have risked your life. You have taken a saw. You have cut off the chains that bound, that bind one of the slaves who is destined for a beating the next day. And at the risk of your own life, you, you take this man and you escort him out. You get him on the Underground Railroad. You take him all the way up to Michigan. You take him all the way up to Wentworth Drive. The whole way fearing your life. And you say to the man, when you get to Wentworth Drive, because that used to be a place where the Underground Railroad ended, right there in Wyoming. You say to him, you're now free. And he turns to you and he says, how do I get back to my master? I want to get the chains back on. I want the beating tomorrow. You would be, why? 
Why would you do such things along the journey? You said you, you cared. You, on, on the journey, you were so thankful and grateful for that which I was doing. Now that you're here, now that you're in free land, why now are you looking back and wanting to go back? See, that's Paul's heart. Why would you look back to the slavery? Those elemental, elementary principles of this world. Well, you know, we have a good dinner Christmas Eve. Got to feed my stomach. Elementary principle of the world. Why would you do such? And miss the glory of Christ and the freedom that he has given to you. See, that's what Paul's doing. He's going back to this Hagar and Sarah example. And he's saying, look, we, we can't, if we look at it this way, okay, if you're filling in the, the outline, it simply reads as follows under C. They're sliding back into slavery. He's using Hagar and Sarah as his example. The fact that they allegorically represent two covenants, the covenant of, of Sinai and the covenant of heavenly Jerusalem. But what he's really about is he's saying, these are not merged. You don't merge Sinai and Jerusalem. You don't merge the law and grace in terms of salvation. Salvation is wrought not by law. Salvation is not wrought by law and grace. Salvation is wrought by grace in Christ alone. That's it. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. No law. You can't merge these two things. They're diametrically opposed. The elementary principles, the sinful nature is opposed to our new nature in Christ. They are at odds with one another. You don't fuse them together. But so often that's what we do. Don't we, believer? We try to fuse grace with our sinful nature. Say, well, I'll do both. I'll have some of one and some of the other. Paul says you can't do that. There is no fusing together. They are distinct. They are different. As much as Mount Sinai is distinct from the heavenly Jerusalem. As law is from grace. See verse 1, chapter 5. See, here is the eternal declaration of the gospel. Christ came to bring freedom. Our redemption and adoption brings us Freedom in Christ. Go back to Acts chapter 13 a moment. Acts chapter 13.
Paul is saying as he comes to these folks, and I would urge you, read through chapter 13, read through chapter 14. That's why I wanted you there, okay? Read through them this afternoon. This is Paul's visit to Galatia. Paul says the purpose Christ came, the purpose of his death, the purpose of his resurrection, is so that we might have freedom. See, he's not just writing to this to the Galatian churches now. This is what he preached when he was there. Freedom. We have freedom in Christ. It's ours. He's been proclaiming it to these churches. That's why Christ came. As we come towards our thinking and reflecting upon the coming of Christ. Yes, a Savior has been born. A Savior who does what? Who ends the curse. Who ends the slavery. Who comes and unleashes us from the chains of sin that held us in bondage. He's the one who cuts us loose from Satan's domain. He's the one who enters into hell itself and rescues us and takes us back. And all the way we're saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now we're going to go back it is for freedom that Christ has set us free see that's what we are we are freemen we are free sons we're not the slaves of the owner we are the sons of the owner we are the children of God. We are not the slaves of Satan any longer. Christ has come to bring freedom. Yes. And we are free. Those who believe in Jesus Christ. Those who confess the name of Jesus Christ. Those who put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are free. Free indeed. See when you go back to. Many of those old slave spiritual songs. They're singing on two levels, aren't they? They're singing about their experience in life. But they're singing about their spiritual position in Christ. Glorious freedom. From the bondage to false gods. From the bondage to elementary principles. From the bondage of the law. From the bondage of customs and days. From the bondage of sin. Christ came to bring freedom. Christ has set us free. And what does he conclude that first verse of chapter 5 with? Stand firm, therefore. Right? Stand firm, therefore. And don't submit again 
to the yoke of slavery. See, the expectation that you and I would have if we were to leave that slave along that underground railroad and bring him into the land of slavery, we would say to them, now live as a free man. That's what Christ says to each one of us. I came to bring freedom. You are free. Now live. Live as free people. Live as those who have been set free from paganism, from your sinful nature, from the bondage of the law. Live freely in Christ. Born His people to deliver. Born to set the captive free. That's what we celebrate. That's what the angels are proclaiming. And this freedom bought, paid for, made available to us by God Himself.